0: Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast Here on the Fight Game Media Network This is your host, the OG Rob Silver And today we will talk about The two main fights from the Canelo Triple Drip tri- Triple dri- Early signs of, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm punch drunk like a Triple G showed up Saturday night. The Canelo Triple G 3 fight. Uh, We will talk about the two main fights from that card. That happened Saturday night. I will go into another extended Q&A session. And I will finish the episode off with... My prediction on this Friday night's fight in Newark, New Jersey, top rank card. The main event, Shakur Stevenson versus Ropes and Kaseko. I will give my prediction, and I will also tell you guys where I'll be seated. Because I'll be attending that fight, the first fight I've attended in over five and a half years. So I will be there live in person. I will give you guys my ticket location, my seat location. And if you guys are in the building... Come holler at your boy. And I will, uh, you know, if you want to, we take pictures in the whole nine. Anyway, now on to Saturday night's card in which once again, we saw atrocities in the scorecards of judges. Bam Rodriguez defended his uh, WBC 115 pound fight against Israel Gonzalez. Israel Gonzalez, who is the guy that, all the great 115-pound fighters go through. And once again, he gave a great, Uh, uh he, he gave a great, great, great accounting with his performance Saturday night. He gave Bam Rodriguez hell. This was Bam Rodriguez's t- toughest fight of his career. And I was shocked. I thought Israel had been in one too many wars, and no, Israel gave Bam Rodriguez hell from the opening bell, countering, this was beautifully done, he kept countering Bam to the body, and first four rounds, you could have made, a, you could have easily given Israel all four rounds, you know, you could do. first four rounds were very hard to score because both men were very active. Beginning with the fifth round, Bam Rodriguez started to take over. He did land a low blow that cost him a point later on in the fight. But I thought he dominated the second half of the fight to win a very close decision. I had it 114-113 Jesse Bam Rodriguez, as did one of the other judges. The other two judges, I don't know what the fuck they were looking at. One judge gave Bam 10 rounds, and another judge gave Bam 9 rounds. Where did you get that from? How? It was like their scorecards were marked before the fight even began. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, that was very, very, very erroneous on the judges' parts. I don't know what the hell they were looking at. Oh, man, it, 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 it disturbs me, and the trend continued in the main event. Canelo versus Gennady Golovkin, the third fight. And this fight, Gennady Golovkin showed that he is totally washed up. He's done. Stick a fork in this motherfucker. 40 years old, he fought like he was 60. First eight rounds, Canelo out-jabbed him, outworked him, out-punched him, outdid everything. Triple G's defense is non-existent. What saved him on Saturday night was he was fighting to survive. He was fighting from the very opening bell. I looked at a man that was just trying to last a distance. Where was this bravado in the ring that he talked all week about? Oh, I'm going to knock Canelo out. Oh, I got robbed the first two fights. Oh, no. And then Canelo saying, Boval, he copied my style to beat Canelo. Boval, like Floyd Mayweather, moved around, jabbed, and did whatever the fuck they wanted to do against Canelo, gave them a boxing lesson. Triple G does not know how to fight going back. What the hell is he talking about? Triple G is an aggressive boxer in his prime with that great left jab and thunderous punching power, and he used to be a great body puncher. Now, the four-man announcing team. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot have four men in a fucking announce team, announce a fight. That's too many motherfuckers. To me, three are too many. Four? And all four were buffoons. Todd Grisham, Sergio Mora, Chris Mannix, and Daniel Jacobs. Danny Jacobs. Daniel Jacobs in the fight between Israel Gonzalez and Bam Rodriguez. Israel Gonzalez on the front of his trunks had the name Julio written. During the first round. Danny Jacobs, I guess he fell asleep at the wheel, didn't do his homework, didn't know what fight he was calling. Was like, oh, Julio's doing great work to the body, huh? And then in this fight, Sergio, the, the Canelo Triple G fight, Sergio Moore talking about Triple G needs to go to the body. <laughs> like he did in the first two fights. No, he didn't go to the body at all in the first two fights. He never went to the body against uh, Canelo. Canelo outlanded Triple G in all three of these fights, something like 10 to one to the body. Triple G doesn't go to Canelo's body. He was afraid to go to Canelo's body. Triple G at one time was one of the best body punches in the sport. But for some unknown reason, he never once went to the body with conviction in any fights of this trilogy. And people saying, oh, this is going to be one of the greatest trilogies of all time. The first two fights were great fights. Uh, fight number two was the fight of the year for 2018, without a doubt. But this fight was a stinker on the same level as the Sugar Ray Leonard-Roberto Duran three fight that not, that tarnished that trilogy Never mind the fact that Durant quit in his second fight. This fight was horrible. Canelo versus Triple G. Triple G. The third fight. First eight rounds was all Canelo. Um, Round nine I gave to Canelo, but Triple G finally showed some life. Round 10 I gave to Triple G as he out-hustled Canelo. Round 11 I gave to Canelo. Round 12 I gave to Triple G my final scorecard, 118-110 Canelo, he dominated. He did all, He did everything. Triple G didn't wake up until the ninth round. By that time, it was way too late, and you're not knocking out Canelo. You guys on, 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 on social media, you casual fans, you guys that don't know shit about boxing, nobody is knocking out Canelo unless his name is Arthur Better BF. Nobody, all right? Stop the bullshit, all right? Canelo has one of the greatest chins in boxing history, as does Triple G. And uh the fourth, the the four-man booth team. Oh, he still triple G still has a shot with that thunderous uh one puts knockout power. No, he's not knocking out Canelo after taking a beating for eight rounds. Get out of here. Scorecards. Two judges. Now, I'm not gonna name these judges. These judges do not deserve to be named, all right? Because they're horrible. Just like I'm not naming the two judges from the Bam Rodriguez-Israel Gonzalez fight. They're horrible, all right? I'm not naming these names anymore. Fuck them. Two judges had Canelo only winning seven rounds. Two judges actually gave Golovkin five rounds. If you totaled up the entire audience in... Vegas that night, I don't think you get five rounds for triple G. Canelo gets the unanimous decision f- despite the fact that he only won seven rounds on two of the scorecards. What's next for, for both fighters? Canelo's got no choice if he's going to stay at 168 to fight a David Benavides, a David Morrell, uh Demetrius Andrade. Andrade, Andrade, however you say his name, I say Andrade because that's how we say it in Spanish, right? and charlo he's got to fight one of those four guys man there's nobody else to fight at 168 now don't give me this nonsense they need to fight each other to fight me you're the undisputed champion at 168 pick one of these guys negotiate with with uh pbc and let's get this fight i would love to see canelo versus benavidez that's the fight i most want to see let's get it done and as far as triple g goes and there are actually Media pundits that think Triple G still has some life left at 160. Triple G has been ducking Charlo and Andrade since he lost to Canelo. He won't fight either guy. He will get buried by either guy. He wouldn't beat Israel Andi Lara Lara. He gets totally outworked, outboxed, and battered by all three fighters. And Lara's passed his prime. Triple G needs to call it a day before he ends up finally knocked down and knocked out and put out the pasture. He belongs out the pasture. Go back to Eastern Europe, go retire, and wait till they call your name in three years as you are a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's a stain on his legacy. He doesn't have a legit win over an all-time great fighter, period. Ooh, you know, I know people going to say, oh, but he got robbed against Canelo in the first fight. I'm going to say this again, and I'm going to say this for the last time. That first fight, there were several rounds that could have gone either way. Several. There were at least three to four rounds that could have gone either way. You cannot have a fight that ends in a draw. Claim it's a robbery if three or four rounds could have gone either way. Period. End of story. Now, quick prediction. Shakur Stevenson versus Robeson Cascade. I'm just gonna say Shakur Stevenson versus Ropeson because uh, for some reason I'm stuttering like a man who has dementia this morning. All right, that's that's been hit too many times, like Triple G has. Ropeson Koseko Kase, Ropeson Koseko versus Shakur Stevenson, uh, Friday night, September 23rd at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. I will be in attendance. And let me look up real quick. My um my uh seats my seat location you guys out there that want to uh to want to see where i'm seated this is where i'm at i will be located at where are my photos okay this friday night Newark, new jersey let me find these tickets. God, Lord, I have too many damn photos in my own photo library. Here we go. 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 Don't tell me they're not in this library. I bought these tickets before this. Ah, right, here we go. I will be in Section 4, Row 3, seats 10 and 11 at the Prudential Center this Friday night. Section 4, Row 3, seats 10 and 11. Follow me on Twitter, Robert Silva five seven six eight. I will uh, post these pictures uh when I arrive at the arena that night. For those of you in attendance, come holler at your boy. We could take pictures the whole nine. Now on to my twenty third greatest fighter. Oh no! Uh, early signs of dementia. That's later. Go to your happy price price Priceline Right now we're going to talk The question and answer segment Ask Rob Silva Okay First question From Jose Corona What's up Jose? Uh, Jose asks What are your thoughts on Aaron Judge? This is a non-boxing question Ladies and gentlemen By the way You can send me non-boxing questions It could be on sports It could be on music It could be on life I'll answer to the best of my ability. Even if I don't know an answer, I'll uh, give a reason as to why I, I won't answer it, but I'll discuss it. Robert, what are your thoughts on Aaron Judge? He hit his 59th homer today versus Milwaukee. It feels like MLB homers across the board are down, and Judge is mashing away. The cynic in me thinks he might be juicing. juicing. Jose, I could see why you think that. He's over. Uh, the next In the American League, he has 59 home runs, and the closest guy is over 20 home runs less than him, like 37, 38. I don't believe Aaron Judge is juicing. He's a big dude. He's a naturally big dude. He's like 6'8", 6'7", 6'8". He's huge. And remember, Yankee Stadium has that minuscule short Pole in right field that he goes to all the time. He, a lot of his home runs are hit over there in that corner in right field. That right field porch is a pop-up for a home run. Aaron Judge, when he came to City Field earlier this year, was 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 hitting shots down that same line that were outs. And I remember Gary Cohen saying, oh, oh, oh. oh. Babe Ruth that porch was even shorter when Babe Ruth was playing. That that if I'm not mistaken and people could correct me, during Babe Ruth and Luke Gehrig's era, that right field porch was maybe 298, wasn't even 312. Where Yankee Stadium and down the right field line where pop-ups become um home runs. Reggie Jackson feasted on that a uh, right field line. Dave Winfield, Don Mattingly, Ricky Henderson. You, are, uh, Jason Giambi, or the Giambino, like John Sterling used to call him. Um, a Rod used to go there all the time. All right. I don't believe Aaron Judge is juicing. I believe he's taking advantage of the short porch in right field, and that's my take on Aaron Judge. And uh, He's a free agent after this year, and he's going to get what he wants. Aaron Judge is a great ball player. The one problem I got with Aaron is he strikes out way too many times, but you know what? That's never going to be corrected. He's always going to be a 170, 180 strikeout guy every year, over 200. He's just, it's with him, it's feast of famine. He's a much better Hitting version of Dave Kingman. And he's a tremendous center fielder. Aaron Judge is going to basically be an entire franchise unto himself when he signs that free agent contract, whether it's with the Yankees or whether it's with another team. Thank you, Jose, for the question. Now, next question. And this question is from. Big Malcolm, and once again, I appreciate your questions, Big Malcolm, and this is a great question. Big Malcolm asks, give me the five best athletes turned actor. In my opinion, and if I'm missing some that you guys thought I should have mentioned, hit me up on Twitter, RobertSilver5768, all right? Tell me. We'll have a discussion about it, all right? This is off the top of my head, all right? Paul Robeson is the first guy That comes to my mind Paul Robeson at Rutgers Was a phenomenal Basketball, baseball And football player Right And one of the great actors Of his era I mean he was In several plays and movies When black men weren't, weren't on those On those Vehicles and he would not Allow himself to play the buffoon, to play the, oh, you master. He didn't do none of that bullshit. He was the first black man to play a black man in Othello. Before Paul Robeson played Othello, it was white men playing Othello. And Othello was an African king. Don't get me started. Paul Robeson, definitely in my top five. You know, actor, athlete slash actor. Uh, A Shakespearean actor. Tremendous actor who was blackballed from this country because of his political views. They tried. They tried to emasculate this brother and he didn't allow the United States of America to do that. Malcolm and I were talking about Fred Dryer, who was phenomenal on Hunter. There is no Hunter without Fred Dreyer, former defensive end of the Los Angeles Rams for many years. And he killed Hunter. I believe that show lasted from six seasons, from 1984 to 1990, one of my father's favorite shows. My father loved Hunter so much that on Saturday nights, if the Mets were playing, At the same time that Hunter came on, we would watch the Met game, and then he'd go, all right, time to see my motherfucker Hunter. I said, but Pop, Gooden's pitching? I don't give a fuck if Gooden's pitching. Changing the channel to NBC. You don't like it? Go watch the black and white television in your room. The living room was the only color TV we had in the whole apartment. (laughs) Oh, man, so I, you know, I love those Saturday nights with my father watching boxing, watching um, baseball, watching and, and and watching Hunter with my pops. So Fred Dryer. So you got Paul Robeson, Fred Dryer, Jim Brown. Jim Brown had a very successful career as an actor after he ended his career in the NFL as who my father said the greatest football player he ever saw. Greatest running back of all time. He ended his career because he would make more money in Hollywood. And so Jim Brown turned a legendary, iconic, all-time f- football great in the NFL to a major motion picture deal in Hollywood. So Jim so you got Jim Brown, Paul Robinson, and Fred Dreyer. Omari Hardwick, ladies and gentlemen, was a standout college football player, couldn't make it in the NFL. Uh, began acting, even, if I'm not mistaken, um, he was helped financially by Denzel Washington while he was trying to get his acting career going on, even with a room and board. And then finally, he made it, and he's best known for playing Ghost on Power. And Power's never been the same since Ghost died. That Power Ghost shit is trash. All right, so Amari Hardwick, and finally... He was a standout high school football player. He, this guy was uh, on those legendary Miami teams that featured Ray Lewis and Warren Sapp, and the list goes on. And he was an afterthought on that team. But he became one of the biggest stars in the history of professional wrestling. And now he is the highest paid actor in Hollywood, and that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So there you go, Malcolm. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Jim Brown, Fred Dreyer, Paul Robeson, and Omari Hardwick are, in my opinion, the five best athletes turned actors. And now, on to another question. We got several questions here. Damn. All right, here we go. Next question. Next question is from Another Malcolm. Malcolm, excellent. What's up, Malcolm? This is the second but this is like the second question he's brought. And he reposted a tweet that said, Prime Terrence Crawford versus Prime Miguel Cotto. Who wins this showdown? There is nothing Miguel Cotto could have ever done in his prime. And in his prime, he'd have been at 140. Terrence Crawford would have been at 140. So this is a great question. Miguel Cotto can't beat Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford is too much of a ring technician for Cotto to beat terence crawford now it wouldn't be easy for crawford first half of the fight Cotto would crowd crawford he would throw body shots because codo was from the same school of the Puerto rican father godfather of boxing and carlos ortiz and then later on Roberto to gomez where he would fight he would he was a boxer puncher who would adjust his style to your style. So with Terrence Crawford, there's no way in the world he could have outboxed Terrence Crawford. So he's going to try and pressure Crawford, like he did Floyd Mayweather. Miguel Cotto, in my opinion, gave Floyd Mayweather the toughest fight of his career because he pressured uh, uh, Mayweather, even busted Mayweather's lip open. He would do, he would use similar tactics against Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford would have switched from orthodox to, to Softball, he would have confused Cotto, and I see him winning a tough but convincing 12 round decision over Miguel Cotto. So that's the answer to your question, Malcolm. Excellent. Jay Novakane on Twitter. All right, now next question. All right, LL Cool K, frequent contributor to all my podcasts, has a list of questions. So let me take them one by one. Name a good fighter from the past that would have been a matchup for Inouye and your thoughts on Baval versus Zerto. So that's a two-part question. Up until Niowa uh phenomenal, phenomenal bantamweight run that he's undergoing right now, which he will finish off when he puts Paul Butler in the hospital in a couple of months to become the undisputed bantamweight champion of the world. Up until this run, the best banding weight I ever saw was Jeff Chandler. Jeff Chandler versus Naomi inoue that would be Inoue's toughest, toughest opponent from my lifetime that I've seen at 118 pounds. And Chandler would have given Inoue hell. I see Inoue winning a very, very tough 15-round war because Jeff Chandler was a 15-round fighter. And I will put, I will give Chandler the benefit of the doubt. And whether it's 12 or 15 round fights, we'll make it a 15-round fight. But I think Inouye would win a 15-round fight in a war. Jeff Chandler was a better version of an of a Nonino Donaire, a tall guy with a great jab and right cross. Um Inouye, same type of fighter. They, were, they, had, they had similar styles. Inouye in a tough 15-round fight. Jeff Chandler, my favorite Philly fighter of all time. Now, Inouye, one of my 5 you know, both Chandler and Inouye are one of uh, two of my five favorite fighters of all time. That would be an incredible fight. So, easily, Inouye's you know, toughest fight from the past would be, in my opinion, Jolton Jeff Chandler. Boval versus Zerto—I am not going to answer that question right now because they'll—they'll be fighting within the next few weeks, and I will make my, my prediction on both the podcast on on the monthly boxing podcast that i do and this podcast right before that fight so i'm gonna save that answer for when i do my prediction because that fight is up and coming but i i can't wait for that fight that that's one of the best fights this year matchup wise is ryan garcia too smart for isaac cruz in the ring i don't think ryan garcia is a a very intelligent boxer i think ryan garcia is a naturally gifted power fighter he's a naturally gifted fighter with great power in both hands, especially his left hook, but I have seen no evidence that his ring IQ is on the level of a Floyd Mayweather, of a Muhammad Ali, of a Sugar Ray Leonard, even of a Canelo Alvarez. I remember Canelo took Ryan under his wing for under his wing for a while. I don't think he's under his wing anymore. So, no, is he too smart of a fighter for Isaac Cruz? No, maybe he might have too much power and speed for Cruz, but he's not too smart of a fighter for Cruz. You and Garcia has yet to prove to me that uh, his ring IQ is on another level. Right now, the guys fighting that have that ring IQ on another level, Terrence Crawford, Shakur Stevenson, Tyson Fury, Alexander Yusik, those guys, uh and Noe, those guys have ring IQs that are on another level. And Fernando Vargas said Canelo not fighting Mexicans is stupid. Thoughts? Uh who are the great Mexicans that he should fight today? Jaime Mungaya has no business fighting um canelo and don't be surprised if that's the next fight canelo fights because he will massacre the one-dimensional slugger that jaime Mungaya is all right um david benavidez mexican-american cat is he really a fighter for me ma- i consider him mexican-american all right and, and um zerto zerto's fighting Baval. if Zerdo beats bavall and that's a possibility i'm not saying whether or not I think he's going to do it, but he has, a, he, has he definitely has a shot at beating Dimitri Boval. Uh if Zerto beats Baval, I wouldn't be surprised if Canelo fights Zerto so um, I, I think this is bullshit that people are claiming Canelo won't fight other Mexicans, I don't believe that bullshit, alright, let's stop the nonsense Canelo, like I've said over and over again he can fight whoever the fuck he wants to fight... because he's the top box office attraction in boxing... and you guys out there, and you fighters out there... you're not gonna force him to fight somebody other than who he wants to fight... because, Muhammad Ali fought whoever he wanted to fight... when he was a top boxing attraction... Sugar Ray Leonard fought whoever he wanted to fight... when he was the top boxing attraction... Mike Tyson fought whoever he wanted to fight... when he was a top boxing attraction... Julio Cesar Chavez fought whoever he wanted to fight... when he was a top boxing attraction... Oscar De La Jolla fought whoever he wanted to fight when he was the top boxing uh, attraction. And so did Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao when they were the top boxing attractions. Now, the ball's in Canelo's court. So whoever he decides to fight now, it's up to him. All right? You guys, you wait by the phone. He calls you. All right. He's the undisputed 168-pound champion. So he's going to have to fight one of those guys. He's going to have to. And whoever he decides to fight, the other guys are off going to have to wait their fucking time. Period. End of story. All right. think I got one final question, so let me get to it. By the way, I appreciate all these great questions you guys are, are asking me. All right. Here we go. And, and um believe I got a question that I forgot to answer here we go from Darren Darren out in Canada great 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 friend of mine um Darren I appreciate all your thoughts and sentiments about my personal life to you know anybody who knows me knows right now my mother's in the in in the hospital with kidney infections in both kidneys all right she's doing much better but Still, she's got a hill to climb, and she's 74, and she's the greatest fighter in the history of my lifetime, right? She's escaped death at least four times in her lifetime, so I appreciate all you guys uh, asking about my mom. Okay, Darren asks, greatest trilogies? Because, you know, we had the Triple G Canelo fight. Well, Canelo Triple G is not in the greatest trilogies after that trash of a third fight. Neither is Sugar A. Leonard versus Roberto Duran after that trash of a third fight. Greatest trilogies off the top of my head, all right? These, no particular order Pacquiao versus Marquez. Which culminated in one of the greatest right hands ever landed by Marquez to almost kill Manny Pacquiao in their fourth and final fight. All four fights were great fights. All four fights were classic fights. All four fights combined great action with high skill level. So that's one of them. Ali Frazier. The the first fight and the third fight are, in my opinion, two of the three greatest fights of all time. Okay, tremendous, I mean that third fight, Ali and Frazier, Muhammad Ali's performance in the 13th and 14th round where he's exhausted, he's bleeding inside, he felt like he was dying, and the way he batted a one-eyed Joe Frazier in the 13th and 14th round, and this was Muhammad Ali at the age of 33 and won too many wars and still throwing rapid combinations and battering Joe Frazier unreal the first fight frazier put on a performance in a lifetime ali was dropped early in the 15th round with a picture-perfect left hook and ali got up right before the referee started counting unreal it reminded me of when larry holmes got up against ernie shavers after getting hit with one of the greatest right hands in boxing history so you have what i mentioned so far pacquiao marquez ali Frazier. And of course, you had the great trilogy in um, Riddick, Bowie, Vander Holyfield. A phenomenal trilogy. Phenomenal. Riddick, Bo, and Vander Holyfield. First fight, epic. 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 That 10th round was unfucking real. Bo's battering Holyfield for over two minutes of that round. And then Holyfield staggers Bo late in the round. But then um, Bo knocks him down in the 11th round and boxes safely in the 12th round. To win a well-deserved unanimous decision and the undisputed heavyweight championship world. Second fight was marred by the by the fan man, the, the fucking <laughs> parachuted in, in, into the arena. Riddick Bowe's team almost killed him, <laughs> but that was a great fight. Evander Holyfield winning the rematch. And the third fight was a war until Riddick Bowe finally put Evander Holyfield to sleep. So great trilogy. All three great fights had incredible action. Okay, another great trilogy. Uh, Fury Wilder, I can't put up there because the second fight was a one-sided beating that Tyson Fury gave Deontay Wilder, so that's not going to be on my list. Um, you have the the, the Tony Zale Rocky Graciano trilogy. Um, I can't say that it's on my all-time list because the first two fights there's no full footage of the first two fights, right? Just the third fight in which uh <laughs> Zale beat the holy hell out of Graciano. Okay, uh my uh, one last one that I bl- 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 I believe belongs on the list. Rafael Marquez. Versus Israel Vasquez. Fucking war. The first three fights were wars. Vasquez, uh, Marquez won the first fight. Vasquez won the uh, the second and third fight. They had a fourth fight. Both men were past their prime. Um, So I'm not putting the fourth fight in the equation. The first three fights were great, great, great wars. Great wars. I'm not counting Gaddy Ward because those were barbaric fights between two guys that had no fucking real boxing ability. These were two barroom brawlers beating the hell out of each other. Fuck that. All right. That's the end of the Q&A session for this week. Those that want to that want me to answer the questions, uh ask Rob Silva on Twitter. And now on to my historical overview of the 23rd greatest fighter of the last 45 years joe calzaghe i wrote this article last year and this is what i said in the history of professional boxing there are only three southpaws paws definitive, definitively greater than joe calzaghe they are marvin hagler pernell whitaker and manny pacquiao calzaghe is also one of the few world champions in boxing history to retire undefeated Add this to his incredible 24-0 record in world title fights, which firmly places the Welshman as the 23rd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Calzaghe started his career at 168, 168 pounds, and defeated several British contenders before winning the British Super Middleweight crown. He was 23-0 before fighting British legend Chris Eubank for the Bacon WBO Super Middleweight title on October 11, 1997. Calzaghe was, a, was originally scheduled to fight the reigning champion Steve Collins, but Collins pulled out and retired as his, as his only interest was a fight with Roy Jones that never materialized. The then 25-year-old Kazaki dropped Eubank back in the opening stanza and totally dominated Eubank back in winning a unanimous decision and the title. Calzaghe was a nightmare to fight. He was an outstanding boxer who happened to be softball. He gave Eubank headaches all night with his movement and pinpoint jab and left cross. It was a testament to Eubanks' granite chin and conditioning that the fight went the distance. For the next 10 years, Calzaghe would dominate the division in one of the greatest title reigns of any, of any division in boxing history. Despite the dominance... Calzaghe was a huge underdog going into his 18th title defense and a 168-pound unification fight against Jeff Lacy on March 4, 2006. It would be one of the greatest performances by a boxer in the last 20 years. Lacy was a 2-1 to favorite. The IBF champ stylistically was patterned after Mike Tyson, complete with the paralyzing left hook. I told several of my co-workers and dudes from the barbershop where I got my hair cut that Calzaghe was an incredible boxer who could easily dominate Lacey as Lacey's style was tailor-made for him. Also, Lacey's over-reliance on his left hook made him too one-dimensional for a ring general like Calzaghe. Everyone I knew scoffed at my analysis. They were so in love with Lacey's left hook. The next left hook Lacey lands would be the first left hook he landed against the British Welshman, against the brilliant Welshman. Round one was a precursor of what Lacey was going to face all night long. Calzaghe came out boxing brilliantly, doubling the jab and making Lacey miss. Then, midway through the round, he staggered an overly aggressive Lacey with a vicious left cross. The rest of the fight saw Calzaghe completely have his way with the American Slugger, landing at Will's, landing at Will, and at times toying with him. Lacey's face at the end of the 12th and final round looked as though he was hit with several bricks. Lacey was never the same after suffering this brutal beating. He would only win six of his last 11 fights. After unifying the WBO and and IBF 168-pound titles, Calzaghe defended those titles two more times before engaging in another 168-pound unification fight on November 3rd, 2007 against the undefeated WBA and WBC champion Mikael Kessler of Denmark. Although the fight was very competitive, Calzaghe's superior skills were too much for the Danish power puncher. It was an even greater win as the fight was held in Calzaghe's backyard of Cardiff, Wales. Despite the fact That the incompetent IBF stripped Calzaghe of his title. Calzaghe came out of that victory with all the other sanctioning bodies versions of the super middleweight title. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I just mentioned how Canelo is considered the first undisputed 168-pound champion. That's only because the IBF stripped Joe Calzaghe. Calzaghe rightfully should have been the first 168-pound unification fight after beating Mikel Kessler. The IBF stripped Calzaghe the title. Um, I, I don't believe in this four belt uh, era. Fuck four belts. I look at who the best fighter in the division is. And if you happen to be Undisputed Champion, good. But whoop the fucking damn do because all four uh, organizations are criminal cartels. Miss me with that four belt era bullshit. Fuck out of here. All right. Calzaghe made $5 million in his fight, and with the Welshman looking to continue making big paydays, he relinquished all the titles to move up and face two of the greatest fighters of the last 45 years in 2008. On April 19, 2008, Calzaghe, for the first time in his pro career, fought in the United States to face the the reigning ring light heavyweight champion, Bernard Hopkins. Although Hopkins was 43 and significantly, significantly, Past his prime, he still possessed a ring intelligence that was far superior to the vast majority of fighters who were active at the time. Even though I knew Hopkins was still cagey and relatively skillful, I felt deeply that he had no shot to defeat the Welshman, who was seven years his younger. Shockingly, Hopkins dropped Calzaghe in the opening stanza with a counter right cross. Later in the fight, Hopkins again briefly stunned Calzaghe with another counter right cross. That would be the highlight. Of the KG Veterans Night, as KG dominated the rest of the fight by boxing out the on the outside behind a sharp right jab and not engaging on the uh, on the inside, where Hopkins would attempt to wear him down with his strength. Calzaghe would win a clear-cut decision, and in doing so, became a two-time division world champion. This would set him, set him up to defend his title against another legend in Roy Jones. Roy Jones should have retired four years earlier after his two spectacular knockout losses to Antonio Tarver and Glenn J- Johnson. The soon be 40-year-old Jones, in my opinion, had no business stepping into the hollowed ring of Madison Square Garden on November 8, 2008. Calzag- Calzaghe was the much sharper and younger of the two all-time greats that night. Once again, Calzaghe was knocked down in the first round by a counter-right cross. The Jones of five years earlier would have put Calzaghe in the hospital. Unfortunately, the knockdown was the sole flash of Jones' once vaunted, vaunted power and greatness. Calzaghe proceeded to give Jones a terrible beating for the next 11, round, next 11 rounds. I couldn't believe that referee Hubert Earl allowed this one-sided massacre to continue. Round, round one was the only round all three judges gave Jones, as Calzaghe won by a lopsided, unanimous 12-round decision. It would be a fitting end to the Welshman's career. Joe Calzaghe ended his career undefeated in 46 fights, 44 of which took place in super middleweight. He was a fighting champ who successfully defended his title 21 times over the 10 years he reigned. He he proved his superiority over each of the fighters the media fans felt were a major threat. Although both Hopkins and Jones were way past their primes when Calzaghe convincingly defeated both fighters, He still had to overcome being knocked down in the first round by both fighters to come back and dominate a career more than worthy of being the 23rd greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Ladies and gentlemen, until next week, be blessed and be a blessing.